bad. There we go. <laughs> Made you flinch. <laughs> you, you saw me do it. You saw me wind up. But I didn't expect it to be so sharp. <laughs> Such a smack sound. Smack. We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational mm-hmm. and, and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be not safe for work. You'd probably better listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Hello, Sipsters. Hello, welcome. Hello, hello. Episode one. Oh, one. <laughs> oh, mom went full cheerleader for that one. <laughs> it is. It's 101. We, 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 uh, we, 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 we. <laughs> it's a long day. <laughs> I know. Anna is now resting her head on her microphone in despair because her mother teased her and she's had a hard day. It's sad. So sad. We broke the 100 episode milestone. Now here we are. Here we are, and That's... everything's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Totally fine. <laughs> you know things are fine when people say that unprompted. That's right. Everything's fine. <laughs> everything's okay. It really is fine. We're doing fine. It's it's that dog in a in a on fire room going. Everything's fine. No, I'm, we are. We're okay. I'm kind of excited about this episode because it's interesting stuff. It's interesting. It's it's timely. Current, current eventy. That's yes. right. Before we talk about today, mm. though, what we're talking about today, I do need to plug the other podcast that I just guest hosted on. Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. Tell us. Yeah. The Tennis Podcast is a very cool podcast that does like top 10 lists. So I got to be a guest host and I got to chat around with Nick, the host, and told him about the top 10 most influential psychology experiments. <gasps> that is so cool. Packed full of exciting terrible information so i can't wait to listen to it and find out what do you like count to down to number one yeah <laughs> yeah and so number one is like the best the worst the best the worst that's yeah, a good way the to best say it. of the worst the best of the worst i can't wait to hear what number yeah. one is yeah so i encourage everyone to go check out tennis podcast there's been a lot of really good guest hosts on lately um because one of the hosts is gone so They've done a lot of really cool episodes, and all their episodes are great. They're always very funny. So, yeah, I encourage you to go check out. I think it's coming out the same day that this is coming out, actually. <gasps> so they're releasing on the same day. You have double the Anna content today. <laughs> Anna squared. Anna squared. <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful day to have double Anna. <laughs> that's my favorite kind of day. Because mom didn't help me. I was I was she all was on, on my her own. own. My little birdie flew away from the nest. <laughs> I said, fly, fly, little birdie. 
And I did. And then I flew right back and I said, I didn't like that. It was scary. I miss you so much, Mommy. I missed you, Mommy, Mommy bird. Feed me. Chew your food. Spit it in my mouth. Oh, that's disgusting. So mama birds do. I know, but that's disgusting. And we just ate a whole bunch of food. And yeah, so, don't you do know, that, actually. Yeah. Well, congratulations on branching out, Anna Marie, on stepping out into new territory, frontiers, being independent of your mommy. <laughs> For the first time in 31 years, I did something about my mom. <laughs> but I'm really glad you came back because I would have missed you. No, we're back. We're we're back. We're better than ever. Possibly, some might say. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll say. It. <laughs> By golly, people like us. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where we're at at the end of this episode. If they still like us, that's a good point. So, what are we talking about, and why? Why are we talking about it? Well, we're going to talk about borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder Mm -hmm. in the same information-packed episode. (laughs) They're very similar, so there's a lot of overlap. So we're going to try to do some comparing and contrasting Mm -hmm. here. And the reason we're doing that is because while we are recording this episode in the daily news is the reports of the big liable, I don't know what they're calling it, defamation, Defamation, what are they calling it, trial with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. That's right. And I mean, it's everywhere right now. So if you if you're listening to this episode, if you are in America and possibly anywhere else in the world, probably it's probably so. been in your front page news. Yeah. It's yeah. been very very big lately. Which in itself to me is amazing that so much media attention is given to really something very private. I it mean, is this really is- private. And I was actually surprised when because you were the one that told me it was a defamation suit. I didn't even know it was that. I thought it was about. I mean, it's about spousal abuse in that mm-hmm. Amber Heard in an article said she was abused by her spouse, who at the time was Johnny Depp. Right. And so now he is suing for defamation because that hurt his image. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a broader scope trial of like, you abused me and I want I want reparations for that. But mm-hmm. it's doesn't seem to be that. No, it seems to be very specifically that through that article – that he was defamed and therefore has lost a lot of his business opportunities. And stuff, sure. Yeah. And I mean, you hear a lot from both sides. I mean, one of the things that they keep arguing is that his career was kind of going down the toilet anyway because of some addiction issues that he had. Mm-hmm. But they're arguing that, that what she did kind of put the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. And so. that is hard. Like, as we kind of, we're going to be, I think, hopping back to the Depp Heard trial as we talk about this, just to kind of give it's a good real world example of a lot of the things we're going to be talking about. But Mm -hmm. I I don't want this to to be us saying who's right or who's wrong in this, because quite frankly, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, Um, nobody knows. I mean, there's been a lot that's come out that has said that Johnny Depp was abused by her. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the the thing that I do want to point at as focusing on and saying this is a very important trial for that reason. Mm -hmm. Because like the the her Depp stuff has been kind of in the public eye for a long time because of that. Because at first Amber Heard came out saying Johnny Depp was abusing her. And now as the trial is going on, there's more and more evidence to say that Johnny Depp was more of a victim. Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge because we just don't hear a lot about males being the victim, especially when it comes to like spousal abuse and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that someone, especially someone very 
powerful and masculine like Johnny Depp coming out and saying, I was a victim of spousal abuse. I think that's big. Right. I think that is really opening the door. And there was even uh, one one of the parts of the trial where there was a recording of Amber Heard saying, go ahead, tell everyone that Johnny Depp, you know, got abused by his wife and mm-hmm. see how many people believe you or support you or whatever she said. And yeah, she even are. she even pointedly said a white man. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know, try to see if anybody's going to believe that you were the one that was abused. Right. And, and then in according to what I read, you know, they played the audio and then they asked Johnny Depp about it. And he said, yes, I am. And that's hard to admit. Oh, yeah. It's hard yeah. for anyone to admit. But I think especially with the culture of uh, toxic masculinity, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. men don't come forward with that as often as right. I would say they should because they deserve support just like – Anyone else who goes through abuse. Anybody who's abused, yeah. Yeah, I think we'll kind of be going back and forth between what we're talking about specifically about these disorders um, and the trial itself. Maybe some comments around that idea. The reason that we are focusing on these two disorders is because within the trial itself, there was a psychologist who was brought in by Depp's people Mm -hmm. to testify about a psychological diagnosis of Amber, of Hurt. Okay, so her name is Dr. Shannon Curie. She's a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist in California and Hawaii. Um, she actually has like her own what like do you counseling call it? group, yeah, I think. And and she's often used by the law enforcement people to be like a witness to, to yeah. give diagnoses. Yeah, I got forensic the, a forensic exactly. Psychologist. I, I think the, yeah. the she comes in to do what she's doing on this trial for a lot of trials, right? And so she has made a diagnosis of Herd, and the way that she did that is not because Herd was her client or or anything like that. She was called in to do this. So in October of last year, which is 2021, when we're recording this last year, uh, was October 2021, and she met with Amber. It said, what I read was just two times, but it was 12 hours. Which is girl that is so long to be in a session with someone. <laughs> Can you imagine Which a six hour session? I do session. think that, especially like clinical, I think especially people who work with like law enforcement and stuff, they do more like assessments. Right. That's exactly right. So, so we're not really talking, it's not like they had like a 12 hour long counseling session like we would have with someone. Exactly. It's specifically meant to assess for certain things. That's exactly right. And so she used that 12 hours of one on one. Still a lot of time. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but. And then she also used the case documents and the medical records, the mental health treatment records, and she also had access to some audio and video recordings. So she used all of that to put together her diagnosis, which is basically what this doctor does for a living. Sure. You know, so one of my first reactions in all of that was kind of like, how does she know how to diagnose somebody that she's never actually worked with? Like, mm-hmm. in, but that's what she's trained to do. Yeah. So, um, and I do think, like you said, like I think that the medical history and the, especially as we're talking about borderline and histrionic, the ones we're talking about today, relationship history is very important. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like relational history, abuse history, that kind of stuff. So so that comes up in assessments as well. That's a big part of those assessments. Right. She gave Amber the di- like a, a dual diagnosis yes. of histrionic personality disorder and borderline 
Yeah, it's hard enough to be diagnosed with one personality disorder, ooh, let alone ooh. two, let alone these two that are very two, close. Two from cluster B. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in a second. But yeah. so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about those two specific diagnoses and just a, and, and you'll see then, sisters, you'll see how they kind of overlap and they're very similar and it's kinda hard to tell them apart, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's you just mentioned cluster B. Yeah, let's so, talk about what that means. Yes, so borderline and histrionic are both cluster B personality disorders. I almost said personality types. It's like this is a BuzzFeed <laughs> quiz or something. But which personality disorder <laughs> which do you personality have? Personality disorder, are you. <laughs> so when we talk about personality disorders as a whole, there are three clusters, and I still don't have a firm grasp on them, but let's just lightning round go over them. Yeah, let's do that. So cluster A personality disorders are characterized by odd and eccentric thinking or behavior. So they include paranoid personality disorder, schizoid personality disorder, and schizotypal. So it's that paranoia and the the eccentricities, that's the big part of cluster A. Mm-hmm. Cluster B, where we're talking about today, is personality disorders that are characterized by dramatic and overly emotional or unpredictable thinking or behavior. And if you've been listening to the trial stuff, that, <laughs> that goes ding, ding, ding yeah. in your head. Okay. Yeah, the, the unpredictability, the emotionality, those mm-hmm. are the keys here. Mm-hmm. So this includes antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and narcissistic. Now, mm. with this, with this episode, since we're talking about both, we will have covered all the cluster Bs <gasps> on the show. <laughs> so in episode 63, we talked about narcissism. In episode 86, we talked about antisocial because we were talking about psychopathy. We so. are heavy on the cluster B. But cluster C is characterized by anxious and fearful thinking. So it includes avoidant personality disorder, dependent personality disorder, and obsessive compulsive personality disorder. That's a handful of disorders. Yeah. And and like I said, personality disorders are difficult to be diagnosed with. Right. It, it, personality disorders are a pervasive thing that goes throughout your entire life. Mm-hmm. Like even when we talked about antisocial personality disorder or narcissism or both maybe, but like when you're a kid, like when you're before 18, you have to be diagnosed with a whole different disorder, conduct disorder. Right. But it's like that grows into antisocial or whatever. Mm-hmm. So these are things that are with somebody through their whole life. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's what makes them part of your personality, I guess. They're just in there. <laughs> That's why it's called personality <laughs> disorder. <laughs> but those are the clusters. And again, we are focusing on cluster B that's about dramatic and emotional behavior, unpredictable behavior, right. that kind of stuff. And the thinking that goes with it. So do you want to start with borderline or histrionic? Let's do borderline first. Let's do it. Let's do borderline first. So I'm using my DSM. It's very cute. It's it's my cute little it's DSM. Small. It's my tiny one. <laughs> it's good thing I have glasses on. <laughs> so I'm just going to kind of basically read, but also paraphrase a little bit about borderline. You remember that when we use our DSM, it has like certain characteristics or criteria that a client needs to hit in order to have that diagnosis. So the first thing it says is it's a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, Mm -hmm. ding, 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 self-image, and affects. 
Okay. And marked impulsivity, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. So for this one, we need to have five or more of the following. So we'll see. So number one says, a frantic effort to avoid real or imagined abandonment. And that's the key. Like put a pin in that because that, that particular is, one is the most important probably. Yes, for borderline, borderline, that is the driving force. Like being afraid of being abandoned is the driving force that leads to all the other erratic behaviors. Exactly. Basically. So we'll probably come back to that in, yeah. and mention it again. So that, that's number one. Number two, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. So one minute you think the guy is amazing and wonderful and the best lover you've ever had in the next minute he's dog dirt and it's that what do they say about borderline i hate you don't leave me very good that's the borderline right kind of thing and and that's true like it's that even and i would say maybe sometimes especially when they're in the i hate them thing Mm -hmm. they still don't want them to go right right like they want to pull them closer right even don't leave me that's really exactly what you said is perfect i hate you don't leave me yeah again not the most logical But it's driven from fear. Right. So that's number two. Number three is identity disturbance, markedly and persistently unstable self-image. And, you know, a person like that could come across as being very confident and even like boastful or, you know, haughty or whatever word you want to use. But what they're hiding is an insecurity underneath. Right. They're going so far the other way. They're compensating. Right. Okay, so we're so remember we had to have five, but there's nine of them all together. We had to have five to to be diagnosed. Four is impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self damaging. So it can be like it's kind of like a, a manic phase of bipolar oh, where sure. they do lots of spending or have careless sex or substance abuse, mm-hmm. any of those things like reckless driving, those kind of behaviors. But we're not going to yet include the idea of self harm yet. Okay, Okay, that's not included in the impulsivity because it's later in this. So that was number four. Number five is, is, here it is, recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, Mm -hmm. or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. So self-harm, or Mm -hmm. while they probably don't follow through with it, the suicidal threats. Like it's more a manipulation tactic. Exactly, exactly. Okay, that's number five. Number six, affective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood. (laughs) Okay, we're gonna we're gonna need to say that in not not DSM language. (laughs) So your moods, (laughs) your affect, the way you show your moods, your emotion are kind of all over the place, and it's because your mood is all over the place. Right? Yeah. Again, this kind of looks a little maybe like a some kind of a a mood issue in other areas, but it's like you know you. she or he will be one minute just real happy and, and playful and all of a sudden get very irritable and get angry about something. And and so their moods, their their affect is all over the place. Which it's interesting you mentioned the gender thing because among the kind of discourse around the trial, mm-hmm. you were mentioning this, I think, before we started recording, that like there have been people saying, well, you shouldn't use histrionic because it's a gendered term. It's not a gendered term, not in the DSM. It's not, not in- Not anymore. No. Not in the, yes, and not in the psychology lexicon. It's not. Right. It is more often diagnosed with women. Just like narcissism is more prominent with male right. clients. Yes. But again, I don't think that means 
it's 100% no. more often in women. I think it, it means it's more diagnosed. Right. Those are two different things. Exactly. But I think borderline and histrionic both have that where women get diagnosed with it more often. Right. I think number seven is really interesting because it's simple and it makes a lot of sense. Chronic feelings of emptiness. Oh, yeah. That makes me sad. That does make me sad too, but that yeah. – that- that really fits. It and fits, but also it can kind of overlap with the depression stuff. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder how much of comorbidity is there. And that is one of the things I read that people with borderline often have comorbidity. Bobbity boo. Comorbidity, bobbity boo. Comorbidity. It's a hard word. Comorbidity, bobbity boo. Yeah, they do. It's not so sad when you say it like that. You can make anything funny if you mispronounce it. If you add a little bibbity bobbity boo on it, it becomes kind of cutesy. So it's Disney magic. (laughs) It's a personality disorder, but by golly, it's fun. It's fun and cute and sparkly. (laughs) Oh, that's sad. Okay, we're almost done. (laughs) Okay, number eight is inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. Besides the physical abuse comments that have been made throughout so far the trial now as we're recording this episode amber heard has not yet had her opportunity to testify yeah so things might really be you know coming out that are like whoa on the other end of the spectrum here but one of the things that that was brought into the testimony was that one one of the times when she was angry with him that she how do i say this she defecated in his bed. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then later she said it was the dogs that did it. But mm-hmm. like there's pictures of it and it's, it's <laughs> not dog deal. You don't want to look looks at it, distinct. people. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely some people poo going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> But again, there's that impulsive, there's that like very reactive. Oh, yeah. Like something that a neurotypical person does not do. Uh uh Poop in someone's uh bed. Yeah. Usually. (laughs) Usually we don't. We don't like that. Let's not put neurotypical people totally in that box. We don't know. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I think if I were neurotypical, I would need a way to get some some of my tense, my neurotypical tension out. Maybe pooping in bed would be it. No, no, that's not okay. No. <laughs> As a clinician, I'm going to tell you, I do not recommend Maybe that. Maybe if you're pooping in a bed, you're not neurotypical. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, here's the last one. Okay. Transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. That's pretty deep that's stuff. Heavy. Yeah. Transient means it's not always there. It comes and goes. Right. But, but when you're under a lot of stress, you get very paranoid and or... You dissociate. Sure. Which, again, could fall under a lot of other diagnoses. Yeah, that's hard. So, Because um, dissociating is very much a, an anxiety thing as well. Right. But that kind of ties back to research has shown that a lot of people who have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder had childhood trauma mm-hmm. and most specifically sexual trauma, mm-hmm. which, which would lead to the dissociation part of yeah. that diagnosis. So I, I looked and tried to find if there was anywhere where Amber heard where it said that she had reported being an abuse survivor from childhood or sexual abuse, and I couldn't find anything. There were reports that said that Johnny Depp was physically abused as a child, oh. which is interesting. And but- I know that Amber Heard claimed she has PTSD yes. from her relationship with Johnny Depp, but mm-hmm. I think Curry debunked it debunked it or disputed it i don't know what right but yeah so she's basically saying like no you don't have that from the relationship right 
And so um, I'm sure that just hearing those criteria, you can kind of, if you've been following the trial at all, you can kind of put that together with some of the testimony that's been shared about the behaviors that she has exhibited. And so that's probably gives us all an idea of how Dr. Curie came up with those, with that diagnosis. Although in my opinion, the histrionic one fits better. Yeah, it's hard because they really are. They do overlap though. Okay, so let's talk about histrionic and then do some comparing contrasting here. Let's do that. So histrionic is a pervasive pattern of excessive emotionality and attention seeking. And again, it begins in early adulthood. It's present in a variety of contexts. And again, you do have to do five or more of the following. There's eight Mm -hmm. in this one. So number one is the person is uncomfortable in situations in which he or she is not the center of attention. So let me stop for a second. So if she does have this disorder and she's married to Johnny Depp, she would be very annoyed mm-hmm. when he would be getting positive attention. Sure. Which she, I mean, she's she, been a lot recently. Like she was an Aquaman. She's been in several things, very like big name things mm-hmm. recently. But but yeah, I mean, if if there was that trigger of like Johnny is getting more attention than I am right now. She would want to do something to fight against that. Well, to fight against it and to bring the attention back to herself. Right, It's like, I got to do a distraction. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Look over here. Which, positive or negative. Right. And we kind of talked, we've talked about that with like kids, like when kids are acting out in negative ways to get attention, any kind of attention. It's like their brains can't separate like good attention from bad attention is just I want attention. Right. So even if they're doing stupid stuff, like pooping on a bed, <laughs> for example. <laughs> That's kind of stupid. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like they're not thinking far enough ahead to say what kind of attention it will get. It's just any attention is good attention. Right. So that's number one. Number two is interaction with others is often characterized by inappropriate sexually seductive or provocative behavior. So again, that just kind of goes to being like a a center of attention. Mm -hmm. I want everyone to be looking at me kind of person. Mm -hmm. Number three is they display rapidly shifting and shallow expression of emotions. Okay, I'm going to stop you again. Okay. Because to me, both of those that you just just gave are kind of feminine. Interesting. Yeah. Because we were talking about how some people criticize the histrionic uh, personality disorder diagnosis yeah, Yeah. as it's being gendered. And we can come back around to that in the end. But I have to say that when you talked, especially, you know, about the sexually seductive, I know men can be seductive too. But but like provocative behavior, that does seem like, oh, she's showing her ankles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Va, va, boom. (laughs) A little cleavage there, lady. Yeah, look at this slut. Showing her knees. And even the shallow expressions of emotions, like men don't tend to show emotions even if they're shallow. Mm -hmm. Women, you know, with that fake, you know, Mm -hmm. that's terrible. That sounds very sexist of me. Generalizing, but yes. But I know what you're saying that just even if this isn't stuff that we believe, it's what's kind of in the, I don't know, gender norms, I suppose. that's a good way to say it. So I, I would agree that those are... If I were someone assessing for this, it would be harder to see that in a man. Yes, that's a very good way to say it. Which I think contributes to how much higher it's diagnosed in women. Mm-hmm. And as always, we're talking about like assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> as as always, thank you for thank you for clarifying. N- not enough research when it comes to like trans and non-binary stuff, as always. 
So number four, they consistently use physical appearance to draw attention to themselves, which kind of goes back to the like sexually seductive provocative thing. Mm -hmm. Five, they have a style of speech that is excessively impressionistic and lacking in detail, which again kind of also links back to like shallow expression of emotion. It's just they don't go super deep. To you, what does excessively impressionistic mean? Like they they are impersonating someone else? Maybe. I know that one of the things... It's not about speech, but one of the things I saw was that they showed pictures of the way Amber dressed before she was with Johnny and then while she was with him and she like started dressing like him. Interesting. Yeah, she would wear those big like suit jackets and stuff, Yeah, she would dress like he dressed, which is kind of interesting. Okay, put a pin in that because that does go back to one of the later ones. Okay. So the style of speech, then number six is uh, shows self-dramatization, theatricality, and exaggerated expression of emotion. Again, that sounds female to me. <sighs> because when the first part, self-dramatization and thea- that word, say it. <laughs> theatricality. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much. I mean, I see Johnny Depp as that. Sure. In, in most of his appearances through He's the years. He's flamboyant. Yes. But he didn't show a lot of emotion. You didn't see the yeah. emotion on his face. It was all about being bigger than life, you know. Right. It's the spectacle, not yeah. as much the act. Yeah. But with her, she often looked like she had a lot of emotion going on. <laughs> okay. Number seven, they are suggestible. Oh, so they're easily influenced by others or circumstances, which ding, ding, ding goes to goes what you were saying yeah. about the like chameleon-y thing. Yeah. And then eight, they consider relationships to be more intimate than they actually are, which I think is the closest thing to borderline in the whole list. Right. People with borderline have a very hard time judging accurately how deep a relationship how is. they are with someone, yes. And histrionic is similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that are very similar because the one in histrionic number three that says the displays rapidly shifting shallow expressions of emotions Mm -hmm. is kind of like the borderline one about the the mood thing, the mood swinging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think borderline, maybe I'm wrong. You can correct me here. I think people who are struggling with borderline feel things very deeply, but whether those things are accurate to reality is the question. Like they feel very deeply that they are being abandoned when right. that might not actually be happening. Right. Whereas histrionic, which again, it comes back to this is very hard to have both diagnoses working in a person. Because mm-hmm. I think histrionic is more they're showing that outward emotion, but that's covering for there not being a very deep emotion underneath. Right. I think that's a good way to say it. But then how do those two things play together? I don't know. That's a really good question. Because again, it goes back to this like if if borderline's source basically is the fear of abandonment and histrionic is just the need for attention. I mean, I guess it could be like, I want the attention. I, I want that to be on me because I feel like if, if I don't have that, people are going to leave me. Right. They're very similar. Yeah. But they're different enough to be very difficult to kind of be at play both. Yeah, I can't, I'm having a real brain block on which one, because one of them is more like they'll feel remorse. Oh, sure. And I can't remember which is which. I would guess borderline. I would think so too. Because again, that goes back to histrionic being hard to do things deeply. Right. <laughs> Did you just bring your laptop for, as a paper holder? <laughs> to hold up my papers. <laughs> <laughs> Anna's calling out my old school. <laughs> she's got the DSM. She's got like a lot of papers. And she's got her laptop all open in front of her. I'm On the laptop underneath is some kind of weird, weird advertisement for 
bras or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's why she has the paper covering it. She's like, I, I can't I see can this wickedness. I can't look at this evil, evil advertisement. boobs. <laughs> um. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to, because, so that was what I just read was the DSM criteria. Mm-hmm. But I also, like, I have a few things that kind of go along with that but more like practical what it looks like yeah so you know talking about feeling uncomfortable when they're not in the center of attention this histrionic by the way Mm -hmm. uncomfortable might kind of come up looking like irritability or sensitivity when they're not in the center of attention so that could come to this like acting out again to get the attention back to them Mm -hmm. and they're really obsessive about their appearance which goes Back to how they use their appearance to draw attention to themselves. So they can be very uh, obsessive about flaws in their appearance. So I would, from these descriptions, I would say that probably a lot of people in show business might tend towards some of these criteria. Yeah, I would think that histrionic would be something that actors and those in show business would be very likely to at least dip their toe in. Well, in one of my paragraphs here, it says the word histrionic literally means dramatic or theatrical. Yeah, I read it meant so, like an actor. Yeah, like right. that's the etymology right. of it. Ooh, etymology. <laughs> I love when you use those kind of words. <laughs> it's a three-cent word. <laughs> but if you do some deep diving into this trial and, and what's going on, one of the things that I saw quite a bit of was that now that this Dr. Shannon Curry has put these diagnoses out for her, there are these people who are trying to come back and argue with why this can't be. And But one of the big arguments that I saw was that the histrionic diagnosis is the way this author was talking about that it, it's hardly ever used anymore because of the gender bias thing. I don't agree with that it's hardly ever used. I don't either. I don't think... I, I, it's not when you hear a lot. Right. But, uh, well, let's see. I saw the statistics somewhere. 1.8%. Mm. So... Out of 100 people, one to two might have it. Right. And even that feels high. The whole of cluster B personality disorders is only 1% to 6% of the general population. So that's not that much. It's I mean, if lot. you get one of those diagnoses and I would say officially, most of that is narcissism. <laughs> I, I think so too. But that kind of goes back to too that what we've talked about when we talked about narcissism is that people use that term too freely and, sure. and diagnose people with it when you wouldn't really actually hit a diagnosis. You would just maybe have some of the symptoms or criteria. You yeah. wouldn't actually be a narcissist or have the personality disorder, right? so to speak. Histrionic was the one that you thought you had when you were in psych classes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, not, I had a friend. I think we talked about this in one of our episodes. Okay. I had a friend who was, this was before, uh, it was when I was still in college as an undergrad. And one of my friends was getting their master's degree in mm. psychology. And he had to like interview people and assess people and, and give them a diagnosis. He had oh, he to, gave you a diagnosis. Yes, he had oh. to give a diagnosis. So he gave me histrionic. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell do you mean it's true? <laughs> I said, "Don't you think I'm very sexy?" What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so hey, what I look at me, look at what me. What I'm hearing is you think I'm attractive and dynamic. Thank you. <laughs> and you're suggesting that I'm histrionic? <gasps> Maybe I am. <laughs> Bonnie, I think you have histrionic. Does that mean you want to date me? <laughs> I know everybody loves me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're just saying that because you're jealous? Okay. Haters. 
Yeah, it's kind of scary. That's probably because you were in theater. <laughs> mm, I was deep in it then, too. Because I certainly would never uh, qualify you as histrionic if the point is, like, they don't feel things deeply. <laughs> that oh my you goodness. feel things so freaking deeply. <sighs> I bleed emotionally. <laughs> and, and we can see, like, how this and Borderline fit in the cluster that's associated with dramatic behavior, both, basically. Mm-hmm. But again, I would say the main difference here is that histrionic is about the attention itself. That is the main goal, is to get attention. Mm-hmm. And borderline, I think there's that attention-seeking, but it's about the abandonment. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where it stems back to. So again, very similar, but distinct. And these things, as we've talked about, are very hard to diagnose without seeing comorbidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking specifically about a client that an associate was seeing. Um, I worked with this other counselor on some things with this client. Right. And she had been diagnosed with borderline and bipolar. Ouch. And But those seem see, almost be- more similar than that. Because they, they would do the, uh, she would do the cycling between, you know, the, the mood swings, which is in both diagnoses. Yeah. And she would do the, um, the emptiness thing when she was in her depressive sure. mode, which is also in the borderline. When she would get manicky, she would push away. Uh, but then when she would get, in the depressive mode, she, she would want him back, want yeah. him back. And so there was, it's tough, man. It's tough to make a very clear cut diagnosis. Well, and this goes back to something we've said about so many disorders that we've talked about where there's a lot of overlap with other stuff. And if you look hard enough, you can link things to several disorders. It's just a big old Venn diagram. <laughs> Mental health is just a big old Venn diagram. It's all a mess. That's really true. I'm not surprised that there's a comorbidity here. I'm a little surprised it's borderline histrionic because mm-hmm. they seem almost too similar. Mm-hmm. I agree. And also, as we talk about this, kind of want to put this footnote in here. You know, we're giving examples of things that like Amber Heard did, you know, the bad incident. Mm-hmm. Um, among others, <laughs> being violent with your partner, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, where we need to kind of draw this line between we're not saying that someone's mental health is wrong mm-hmm. because everyone has stuff, but no matter what mental health thing you're going through, it's not an excuse to treat people badly. Mm, that's good. So we can sit here and we're not saying she's bad for having histrionic personality disorder. We're saying regardless of what personality disorder or not she has, she shouldn't be mistreating her spouse. She's making bad choices. Yes, exactly. It's versus saying your illness is wrong or saying your behavior and choices are wrong. Right. So. Because she can't help it if she has, it's not like that's her choice. No, it's not. She can't can't help it if she has it, but she Mm -hmm. can't help if she gets help for it. Right. And that's where we've got to go. We've talked about that with like antisocial and and, and narcissistic as well, that they are pretty bad things to have. They're very serious diagnoses, very serious things. But there are treatments. Yes. So with cluster B personality stuff, really we don't talk about medication for that. Mm -mm. You might have medication for something that you have comorbidity with. Well, yeah, like you were saying, if there's bipolar, if we talked about how depression can Mm -hmm. be that (laughs) comorbidity. Now you got me doing it. Comorbidity. (laughs) 
<laughs> with <laughs> feeling empty and stuff. Like, yeah, you'll probably have like depression medication and stuff. Right. And probably anxiety medication would work to help with some of that like fear of abandonment or the excessive need for, for attention and stuff like that. Like right. that might stem or be connected to anxiety in that way. So typically, uh, if you're being treated for borderline or histrionic, we're talking about, of course, we always do this, we go back to the CBT thing, but specifically for borderline, they're saying that DBT is is probably at this point, research has shown that that can be very effective. Right. So CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. DBT is like a cousin once removed. (laughs) It's dialectical behavioral therapy. So yes, it's 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 a modified kind of cognitive behavioral therapy that is specifically geared. I don't know if it was made for borderline, but that's the one I see it the most. It's always there. With. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if that was what it was made for, or if that's just kind of what people have discovered that it works the best with. But yeah, cluster B, considering it's they're clustered together because they are similar in that way. Mm-hmm. Like DBT is very good because the main goals of DBT are to teach people how to live in the moment, which can help with that like low emotionality thing. Well, mm-hmm. high emotionality, but low feeling the emotion, I guess mm-hmm. I should say. Developing healthy ways to cope with stress, regulating their emotions, and improving their relationships with others. So that That's hits really important. basically yeah. all the things that are especially borderline histrionic. Mm-hmm. So with all of this media coverage uh, for the trial stuff, one of the things that I keep seeing is different personalities, different uh, media outlets, I don't know how to say that, are talking about with all of this exposure for, and specifically borderline personality, because they're talking more about that, there's concern that people will demonize the idea that if anybody has borderline or if anybody has histrionic diagnosis, that they're going to be a bad, evil person. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what Anna was saying, that, you know, you make these choices, you make decisions, and that the mental illness itself does not make you a bad person. Mm -hmm. Um, But there have been, I've seen several uh, people speaking out like, you know, you have to remember that not everyone who has borderline is going to be an abuser or, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. You're going to be seeing yeah, and hearing that things thing like that. that we, we see a lot where um, mental illness in general is demonized as like that makes a person dangerous. Right. When actually what we know is that people with mental illness are much more likely to be victimized mm-hmm. because they are struggling with a mental illness and mm-hmm. they might be taken advantage of because of that. So, yeah, we shouldn't generalize sweeping generalization of like anyone who has borderline or histrionic is bad Mm -hmm. that's not what we're saying that's not what anyone is saying i hope but also it's interesting in the in the psychology world i think borderline's kind of demonized yeah because absolutely because borderline clients are very difficult to form a relationship with because they do that push-pull thing with therapists too absolutely so i think in the psychology world in the counseling world there's always that like, oh, they're borderline. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. I wonder how long they'll stay with me because yeah. they're borderline and they've exactly. had five other therapists before y- me. Yeah. Yeah. One of yeah, one of the people that mentored me when I was first starting into counseling was like, if someone comes in, they're like, I've seen five different therapists. It's like, whoop, red flag. Mm-hmm. Because they do that like, you love me, you hate me, you love me, you hate me, I love you, I hate you thing. Right. Push me, pull you. Yeah. So can we circle all the way back to the abuse stuff? Yeah. Can we go back to that? 
Because, okay, so we've been focused very much on Amber Heard's diagnoses by this uh, Dr. Curry. We haven't heard a diagnosis on Johnny Depp. No. We haven't heard that side of it. He did admit to being addicted to alcohol and I think substances too, that he has dealt with addiction. And that's part of when it came out about how he was abused as a child. He had trauma as a child. But there's this thing that, that well, like, so whose fault was it? You know, was it that he was an addict and, and he was being physically abusive? And, and so some of this other behavior from Amber was just a reaction to him being abusive? Or, you know, so there's going to be this back and forth over the next couple of weeks, I'm right. sure, about all that. Which, again, I'm not sure how that resolves a defamation suit, but okay. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But we were talking about, before we started recording, about the idea of, mutual abuse in a relationship Mm -hmm. and that sometimes there is abuse on both sides. Well, I think that people can get together and bring out the worst in each other. Absolutely. Now, that's not to say that like, oh, if they were in any other relationship, they wouldn't be abusing their partner. That's Mm -hmm. probably not true. But there are definitely situations where both partners are equally volatile or equally reactive, however you want to say it. Mm Mm-hmm. And we don't know. That's the bottom line, like, especially with the, like, you know, circling back to the Depp Heard stuff. We don't know what actually happened. We will never know. Right. Because we're not Amber and Johnny. (laughs) Right. We weren't there. Right. So we do have to be careful to not blindly like i think that's the thing that makes me a little like oh about the the trial stuff as i see people i mean when things first came out people were blindly following amber heard right and, and and very much demonizing johnny depp and now public opinion has totally 180 mm-hmm. and now we're demonizing amber heard and throwing all our support behind johnny depp mm-hmm. that's dangerous either way exactly no one's a hundred percent exactly so so yeah we just have to be careful not to throw our hat in one ring i guess right, right. there has been information that a couple of johnny depp's past relationships like um he was married i can't remember their names i'm totally blanking on them but he did have two children with his second wife i think they were married i'm not sure <laughs> But both of those women with whom he was with for at least several years Mm -hmm. have kind of come out and made statements about his character saying he had never abused them at all and that he's not that, quote, type of person that would be able to do that. And so one of the things that Anne and I were talking about is if a woman in a relationship is being physically abusive toward a man and is hitting him, and I... I have encountered this with some of my own clients where, you know, if she's striking him or hitting him and all he does is like push her away, then if she gets a bruise or she falls down and she says he was abusing me, mm-hmm. quite frankly, the woman- More I, often going to be believed. It is. And we're in this part in society right now, which I'm glad we're in this place where we are saying, you know, you got to believe women when they say I was raped or I was I was beaten or whatever. And, that, and I'm really glad we're getting to that point in our society. And yet- we have to be very careful that then we're not taking away the rights of of the men. Yeah. Or or we're doing like a swinging of the pendulum that goes too far. Well, again, nothing's 100% like that. Right, I've worked with, yeah, I've worked with several men who have even said like, when my partner was being physical toward me, I Mm -hmm. like could, I wouldn't touch her. Right. Because I knew that Mm -hmm. if I touched her and she called the cops, they would take me in. Right. And yeah, it's very sad to talk to these people who mm-hmm. are getting, 
you know, not believed just because of gender. That's ridiculous. I had a male client say to me very recently, he said in the conversation, he said, I feel weird saying this to a woman, mm. but a woman can say that they've been attacked and they'll be believed right now. And it was like, he expected me to like argue with him like, well, yeah, you know, but that's heartbreaking that yeah. either way, whether you're a man or a woman, if you've been abused in some way to not be believed yeah. is is a is a terrible situation. Well, it just adds another trauma. Oh, absolutely. You've already been traumatized. Right. So. Absolutely. And it reduces your trust in basically everyone around you. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is why we go at this with like, let's believe you unless and until that it's really becomes, proven. Yeah, not mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. But we need to go about that equally. Not based on gender, not based on, you know, whatever we're hearing. We need to be more measured with it, basically. And like I said before, what I do hope is something that comes from this trial is people being able to look at men especially and say, okay, if this person was abused by their spouse, that is equally as valid. Right. To be able to look at someone like Johnny Depp, who is extremely in the public eye, and for him to be able to say, yes, I was a victim of spousal abuse, that's very brave of him. Mm -hmm. It will be very interesting to see how it comes out in the end. Yeah. We might have to do a follow-up episode when it's all over. and Talk about Johnny Depp's uh, diagnosis, whatever (laughs) he gets. Yeah. Yeah, we might have to do that. Okay. Is there anything we left out? Um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about, like, the the causes? Causes are hard, too, because... They don't really know what Who the, the cause. hell knows. Personality disorders, you know, we kind of say we don't really know what the cause is. Although they did say for, especially for borderline, that there's often trauma. abuse of yeah. trauma, sexual abuse or and, trauma. And there was, I think, especially for histrionic, there was a lot of talk of like nature versus nurture. And mm-hmm. there were like twin studies and stuff. So twin studies are one of the biggest ways that we study nature versus nurture because we can look at hereditary based links. Right. So there were some of those. But I also like some of the sources I saw were talking about like parental abandonment or parental abuse or even just generally parenting styles. Right. And yeah, if you like grow up with someone who is very unstable or, or very volatile or reactive, mm-hmm. then that is going to probably foster that like an, in a modeling type of way. But it could also be a trauma in terms of neglect or abuse to the kid. That's exactly right. So it's kind of a double whammy there. But yeah, like you said, childhood trauma is big mm-hmm. for personality disorders too. That's interesting about the dissociation with borderline though. I didn't know that. But it makes a lot of sense that that would be tied to trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think just looking at borderline in in the sense of such an intense fear of abandonment, I would be curious to know what the correlations are between like parental abandonment and borderline later Mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. Because that fear of abandonment you would think needs to come from somewhere. Well, it's interesting too to me that really borderline personality is kind of demonized. I would but, say but, more so than histrionic, yeah. Right. And yet you look at it and it's because of fear that they act that way. You they're, know, it's like, it's not that they're they, going to be Right. They don't want to be alone. mean. It's not that they want to be mean. It's no. that they're afraid. Mm-hmm. And so. I think we've all been there, even if we're not borderline, I think we've all been to that place where it's like, you can't fire me, I quit. And so, and I think <laughs> in relationships, we get there too, where it's like, oh, nope, pushing you away because right. it's too, you know, it's too intense. I or, become too vulnerable. Or I'm I can't scared. Take it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think that that is a thing that is, it's understandable to look at and say, yep, that's a defense. Right. That push away thing is a defense. 
So one of the things I always think about when we talk about different diagnoses is if, um, Sipsters, if you're listening and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that's me. (laughs) First of all, don't diagnose yourself. Especially with personalities. Right. Don't do that. But if you're ever listening to our podcast or another podcast like this, where you start to (laughs) have- Which don't. Why are you? Because none of them are as good as us. Don't listen to anyone but us, except (laughs) Tenish. Tenish, which is a whole different kind. You can listen to my episode, and then you come back here and listen to us. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) My point was, (laughs) if you start to kind of feel like, oh no, I think that I might be that- if, if it's something you're worried about, see a therapist. Talk totally. to a therapist. Don't just self-diagnose or don't ask your friends if they think you got it or whatever. You and, know? Don't, and don't then go, well, I've got borderline, so that yeah. excuses all the crappy Ooh, things I do. Good point. Very good point. Like if you're sitting here going, oh, I think I have borderline. I think I need to do something about it. Great. Right. You're yeah. already miles ahead. Like maybe if you if you struggle with intimate relationships, you know, if that's a struggle for you and you don't really know why. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you feel yourself doing the push-pull thing. Yeah. That might be something to talk to a therapist about. If you're pooping in people's beds, <laughs> I think you need to talk to a therapist. Um, if you're pooping in people's beds, I don't care what your diagnosis is. Don't. Don't do that. Pro tip. Stop. Please stop. I will say, especially about histrionic, I would assume this is the same way for borderline. I know it's the same way for narcissism and antisocial, where if a person's coming in to counseling and they have one of those disorders, that's probably not why they're coming in. Exactly. They're going to be coming in probably because of trouble with the spouse yes or a partner. romantic partner difficulties is is probably going to or be what family brings them problems in. whatever yeah, yeah. relationship tension is yes. probably going to be what brings these people in but it's probably not going to be like hi i have histrionic i want to work on it <laughs> yeah like that's not gonna be it. i'm feeling a little histrionic today. you're gonna, you're gonna be realizing like <laughs> this person has some higher emotionality etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. so uh, again it's kind of hard to talk about treatment like we can talk about cbt and dbt and all the other bts all day long (laughs) but if a person's not going to come in unless they're being dragged which then they're probably not going to do much work anyway yeah then it's it's hard it's hard to treat these things because of a lack of self-awareness and a lack of wanting to get help for it and all this other stuff that's right okay baby okay you think that's all i think that's all we did it i think we did it for today So I would like to thank our listeners. Can I do that? No. Okay. Not if they're listening to other people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm thinking only our faithful (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Only only the people who have ever only listened to us and no other podcasts. No. You can thank all the listeners. All the wonderful ears. All of them. Yes. Thank you, Sipsters. Thank you for listening again to our 101 episode. 101. 101. And we hope that we will continue to share time with you. We hope there will be a one or two ongoing. Let's find out together. One hundreds now, (laughs) so we are moving right along. Yeah, basically, anytime we decide to end this, we're gonna be like, at least we got to a (laughs) hundred. 
<laughs> We've beaten the odds that we set up for ourselves. <laughs> but we appreciate you listening. And we, we appreciate, too, that you maybe tell some of your friends about it. Yeah. You know, just tell uh, when you're at a party next time, say, hey, I listen to this great podcast by these fun gals. <laughs> these two fun, wicked fun gals. <laughs> wicked smart, too. <laughs> smart and fun. Wicked smart. Wicked funny. <laughs> So join us again next time. We'll be looking forward to talking with you. Next time, whenever that is. <laughs> we'll see. We like to be vague. <laughs> like to keep you on your toes. Because intermittent reinforcement is more addictive <laughs> than consistent reinforcement. That's it. We're doing this because of science, everybody. When in doubt, we're doing it because of science. <laughs> Yes, like she said, thank you so much for listening. Even if you are listening to other podcasts every once in a while, I encourage that. Well-rounded. That's what you are if you do that. <laughs> you can find more of us, though, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on everything. Our site is FreudianSipsPod.com. You can get a hold of us directly with our email, FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. Uh, please remember, wherever you're listening, to leave us a nice rating and review. If you can do that, it really helps us get discovered by more people. If you're not going to go to parties and tell people about us, which <laughs> if you're not going to parties because we're still in a pandemic, I guess technically we're people we're are partying people we're are all right partying. yeah whatever go to your terrible super spreader events and tell everyone about us <laughs> okay go on social media and tell everyone about uh, us yeah, is do that, that safer okay. totally that's social media distancing <laughs> our theme music is sweeter vermouth by kevin mcleod and it sounds like this mm-hmm.